Welcome to another episode of the Classic Car Corner Podcast. Thanks again for joining us. Our guest this evening is owner of a 1987 Buick Grand National, and we're going to hear more about this limited production vehicle. But first, Eric has these words from our sponsor. Jason, you have cars. Well, you have a fleet of cars, and I have a couple of them, and I think uh, you're going to enjoy our sponsor because we've had a good experience with them as well. And today's podcast is sponsored by Springdale Automotive, the next generation in car care, locally owned, professionally operated, whatever you drive, we service. Domestic, Euro, hybrid, electric, classics, diesel. Springdale's classic car services include maintenance, repair, and diagnostics with four convenient neighborhood locations. How may they be a service? And they've been a service test. I think you have almost every one of every car that they service on, except uh, for electric. Yes. Well, that's right. Yeah, exactly. So what do we good. got going on tonight, Jason? Well, uh, I'm Jason Painter, and co-hosting tonight is John Lockhart and Eric Benzel. And we welcome Andrew Scott and his girlfriend, Jennifer, uh, who is going to share with us his ownership experience of the ever-so-popular Buick Grand National. Andrew, thanks for joining us tonight. Oh, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So... Um, you're our first Buick Grand National guest, and these cars have really grown in popularity and demand. What is it about these Buicks that make them so desirable, and why you wanted to buy one? Well, I think the reason they're so desirable is uh, they're kind of a legend. So when these things came out in the mid-'80s, everything was kind of still coming out of the smog era in the 70s when you had a 400-cubic-inch V8 that made all of 142 horsepower. <laughs> right. Uh in 1986 and 87, uh, aside from a Porsche 911 Turbo driven by a professional, the Buick Grand National was the fastest accelerating car you could buy in the United States. Wow. Period. And a lot of people <clears throat> assumed that that car had a V8. They did, and it did not. It is a right. turbocharged, uh, originally 3.8 liter V6. Um, and think of the cars that were out at that time. Yeah. That you would think that would dog those up i mean you had ferrari with their 308s mm -hmm. and 328s about that time and yep. porsche had their renaissance of 911s and yes. corvette just had their brand new model out yeah. well yeah, if you I think mean, about it you know when the police started using them everybody <laughs> thought and they we were still in the mustang you know the mid 80s you're still yeah. in the yeah. v8 era yeah and, you know, nobody heard of a V6 putting out that kind of power no, and things like no, that. No, Much less an American-made V6, and you throw a turbo on it. I mean, it was, like, unheard of. So yeah. it was, like, the coolest car ever. And I remember everybody going up and down Watterson Expressway looking out for those uh, black Grand Nationals with right. the tinted windows. You knew it was a cop because yep. there wasn't too many around. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's always fun to scout out those cars and going down. And now they've gone on to – Caprices and Mustangs, and yep. uh, now the they're Crown Vicks or whatever. I think I saw a Tahoe the other day with yep. lights on it, yep. pulling yeah. somebody over. So <laughs> who knows what they have now? Durango, I've seen. Uh, there you go. So you know, maybe the confiscation they're fixing those cars up. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> That's right. So uh, we talked about the production years on there. Uh, I know what yours has, but we're T tops. Standard or an option on No, those? no. T-tops were an option. Uh, you know, roof options back then for the Regal were uh, either solid roof, uh, T-tops, and they did have what they called an Astro roof, which was basically a moon roof. So it, it, Just it, a pop it, up. it popped up, but it didn't slide back, right? Gotcha. Um, so those were things. T-tops were pretty desirable. I don't think they were terribly common, but I don't, I don't have any production numbers on that option. Gotcha. And bumpers, were they all uh, paint? Body paint, or were they chrome? Uh, so the Grand National package mm -hmm. got you the painted bumpers. So the way you ordered these cars back then, you had the Regal, 
and then you would order the Regal T-Type. That was the that was the car. The car was the T-Type, and that mm-hmm. was the turbocharged Regal with the sport mirrors and the the drivetrain, the four-speed auto, and the special rear axle. The actual the axle assembly, the the stick axle, is unique to the car. Uh, it used an eight eight and a half inch ring gear instead of the seven and a half that was in all the other G bodies. That's girthy. And it's very. It's, it, you don't. You have to do something stupid to break them, which which I have. <laughs> we'll get to that later. But uh, so then, if you wanted a Grand National, the Grand National was an option on the T-Type. So you could get a T-Type with a bench seat, column shift, the couchy cushions, and you could still get that drivetrain if you knew how to order it. But oh, wow, if you nice. got the Grand National package, you got everything blacked out. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Speaking of packages and... I don't think I've ever seen any other color than a black Grand National. Was there another color option? No. So it only so came in black. It, huh? it only from the factory. You could have it in any color as long as it was black. Yes. So <laughs> so there are many out there now that aren't black anymore. Several guys have painted there's white that have been you might have seen on, on but but those are repaints. The factory okay. did not do that. Somewhere Henry Ford's going, I told you that was a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a great color. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. So, so going back though to the production years, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you Google these things, yeah. And Google yeah, yeah. says it was eighty two, but yeah. And then you see that it was actually eighty four that the, the production. So this is the yeah, famous uh, one. So I mean, yeah, the, right. the, okay. the Grand National was a sticker package on the nineteen eighty two and a half Buick. Okay. And so with that thing, you got it was a gray. It was gray with chrome bumpers. And in, in 82, it still had, like, these uh, – the gauges – the gauge cluster was still actual gauges, and it, could, it looked like jewelry. It was basically mm-hmm. out of the Grandma Regal trim. Okay. And uh, you did get, uh, you know, a, a, a center console gear shift, mm-hmm. and uh, but it was a 4.3-liter Buick V6. Okay. Which was basically a punched-out and stroked version of the the, norm, the 3.8. Right. Uh, but that's all it was. Mm-hmm. You know, there was nothing fancy about it, and they only made – 215 of them i think something real low production numbers um there's so in other words be on the be on the look for that yeah right. yeah if you see one of those right. they're valuable i mean right. i have only seen one in well i've seen two in person one is a perfectly maintained car that's owned by a couple here in town uh actually i think they live in shepherdsville now i haven't talked to them in years mm-hmm. but i did see their car at the nationals last year uh, and then i saw another one that was at also at the nationals but it was it was in rough shape. It was being sold as a restoration project. Gotcha. Um, so if you find one of those and you're into rare cars, the 82 and a half is very rare. And then you would want to go after the GNX, which is a the final GNX, production. The, of the... Yeah, that was a that was a swan song in 87. Okay. They sent uh, 547 of the cars to ASC McLaren, and they put this really trick ladder bar rear suspension on it. They cut and flared the fenders so they could get 16 by 8s gotcha. with uh, Goodyear Gatorback tires. They're they're really neat. And uh, they cut the fender the fender vents you see in the GNX. They're mm-hmm. actually functional. There is ducting inside oh. the fender to the engine bay that goes straight to those vents. They weren't just stuck on there. And then they uh, used a uh, – the intercooler had a, uh, a denser uh, fin count. It was the same – Size intercooler is a regular Grand National, but mm. I think, uh, you know, the, the fins in the rows, if you look at the front of an intercooler or radiator, you see the fins in between the mm-hmm. tubes. Right. It's got a denser fin count than a normal 
intercooler from a stock one. Mm-hmm. And then they used a, a lightweight ceramic impeller in the turbocharger. Mm. And so it's the exact same turbocharger housing, the exact same compressor wheel, but the exhaust uh, impeller is made out of ceramic and it was lighter weight. And uh, so that turbocharger's like hen's teeth, gold thread. I don't know what right. you know. Well, that ceramic impeller had the unicorn. Yeah. <laughs> and so what it got is that that turbocharger spooled faster, mm-hmm. and then you had better cooling because the intercooler was more efficient. Gotcha. And that's what got them the extra second off of the zero to sixty. And so it was still a three point eight. It was the, the engine was mechanically identical. I got you. You know there was nothing changed on the inside of the motor. Gotcha. Um, okay. Does anyone know the trivia, and I think I alluded to this yesterday, mm-hmm. behind the L, the Grand National badge? I, I, I told you, yeah. so, but but I thought this was kind right. of interesting. I'm going to pitch it out to the, yeah. the, the gallery here. All right, yeah, anybody yeah. call in right now. <laughs> right. Maybe we're recording oh, no, this. Oh, no, yeah, that's 1-800 right. <laughs> yeah. podcast. Uh, all right, your, what are your thoughts? You're gonna have to repeat it. Go on. Oh, th- so the so the the actual emblem on the Buick Grand National. Do you know wh- how they designed it or why they designed it the way they did? I thought this was interesting. I do not. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it looks for us. If uh, if you glance at it, it looks like uh, like one of those old lightning lube logos. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of swishes around with a little arrow, and then. Yep. Uh, no. it, it's not a Volvo logo. No, no, um, that's right. Yep. What what is it? What is it, Jason? <laughs> no, I, I thought this was clever. So obviously they made it look like a six because it's a V six. Okay. Oh, it's V six. And then go. obviously they also made it look like a turbo, so they mixed gotcha. the two together. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, they probably spent millions, millions of, dollars of dollars on it uh, and concept on and, that. And it's funny because we talked about that too. Uh, the the center cap of the steering wheel on these Buick Grand Nationals is the only place you're going to find the the tri um, uh, the tri shield Buick yeah, logo. Uh, yeah, right. yeah. And uh, you were telling me that the the um, they ran out. Yes. Yeah. Late in the production run. Uh, and this is my car was actually built in September of 87, and I have it. And the last car was built December 11th, 87. Somewhere in between there, they <laughs> ran out of the tri-shield buttons for the steering wheel. And so what they got is the uh, the T-Type, if you didn't get the Grand National package, the T-Type horn button had a T on it. Gotcha. And <laughs> so you can find a late production Grand National with that horn button in it instead of the tri-shield. Now, That's do you think thing. that would make that car just that much more uh, uh, either A, popular or worth a tad bit more? Because I mean, the, you're getting really down in the weeds on yeah. the esotericness <laughs> to deal with but, the, but, a horn I mean, button but, they ran out of I'm in October, you. right? And then so they got there's, more there's in. There's a car guy out there <laughs> saying, hey, uh, we need to find one of those T-type badges. Right. Yeah, they were like, we ran out of badges. And they're like, well, right. we've got a box of these over here. Yeah. We could use these. And to some people, yes. But for the general, right. yeah. I don't think so. Yeah, Because they use those on the Regal, right? It would be cool to say, hey, I have this last two months of production of car when they ran out of yeah, this. Yeah, that's what you're looking at. I don't you know look if in, it adds you see any that, true like, oh. value. Right. It yeah. may add some extra conversation to, to the car right? Uh, at this point well, yeah. Yeah. in the cycle. And but, not many people would know right, that right. besides no, owners almost, like almost yourself. Almost nobody. Right. Would an owner have gone back and said, all right, when you get those back in, let me let me get one of those? Yeah, but they never got them back in. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have, I have a spare one I've been hiding. I've been seeing. They'll, they'll sell that tri-shield horn button. It'll be 70 80 bucks, bucks on eBay. Oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Hmm. 
And it's all one color. They didn't put the red, white, and blue in it. No, so yeah, it's, it's black background yeah, with right. a silver outline. Yeah. All right, so growing up, you know, most cars we had, the speedometer went up to 85. Yep. And, you know, 85, <laughs> you're on, and you're, you're <laughs> right. getting on it, right? Right. Uh, so what is the speedometer in the Grand National out of the factory? If I remember, you know, obviously, what were we in high school? Uh, uh, we grade school. Fre- we would have been freshmen right, in high school. Right around that so, age right, when those yeah, came out. Right. And, and, you know, being car nerds like we are, we all like, that. did you see the speedometer? It goes up to 180 or whatever mm-hmm. it was, or 140. And it was like the coolest thing ever. Uh, but what is the speedometer max out on the uh, – Grand National. It he, is 85. 85. Yeah. He's going to be and disappointed. So <laughs> the, um, and the analog uh, speedometer is the Buick sweep. You know, it's mm-hmm. horizontal. And, and you know, at the time, you never saw that needle move right. across that space that quickly. That's funny. If you got the digital dash option, it had, a, you know, a digital speedometer. And it had a 1 and a zero zero character capability. Uh, when it hit 85, it started blinking 85. <laughs> Uh, gotcha. So wow. if you hit the button to flip it to metric, it uh, would read in kilometers, and yeah. then you could actually tell how fast you were going. I'll be darned. But yeah. you never knew that, though, did so, you? You never saw that or witnessed the, the flashing uh, 85. Well, I've never been in a digital dash <laughs> car. <laughs> so, a lot of the guys, there's a there's like a couple resistors that you cut on the board and jumper, mm-hmm. and then it doesn't do that. And everyone I've ever seen, the guys had that done. So their, their speedometer so, keeps working. I had the Caprice Classic International with the digital package. Yeah, and you could flick it to kilometers, so it was really cool. Yeah, yeah. because you're, you're really high. <laughs> yeah. right? like, oh, I'm so. doing a hundred, <laughs> which is actually so, sixty. Yeah. So, right, I'm doing a hundred so, kilometers. I know, but the girl in the seat didn't know better. <laughs> no, so no, she no, thought no. you were really it's, it's going fast. Big numbers, right? big numbers. <laughs> Look at you, you just so, passed a cop going a hundred. Right. Yeah. So, does the speedometer <laughs> stop at eighty-five like in the movies? It keeps and going. When you push it, it just drops to the bottom. <laughs> it goes. Right? It goes well past eighty-five. I think by the time the needle disappears, it will actually go all the way to the end and go away. And I think when the needle drops off the bottom of the dash, you're probably doing about 115. Hypothetically speaking, if you ever did this, yeah. it's from reports, well, Wikipedia. But, I mean, I've, if well, we respect <laughs> our street laws. But on a track, it has probably gone well. So, now, because it doesn't, the needle doesn't just hit 85 and just start ringing a bell. Ding, no, ding, there's ding, no uh, ding, ding, there's no peg. Okay. Yeah, it keeps rolling. Now, what did the X in stand for in the GNX model? Experimental. Experimental. Yeah. And it, unlike an airplane, it didn't have experimental written on the side of the no, doors when you get no, into no, it. No, okay, no, it did not. There's some things you don't want to see when you get on an airplane. Experimental is not it yeah. unless you built it yourself, in which case you're still crazy. <laughs> yeah, right. Every every P51 Mustang now has experimental on it because it doesn't hit current. Sand, yeah, that's how they have to license them to fly. Yeah. Oh, darn. All right. But there will be an opportunity coming up here soon where you can ride in an AT6, a B29, a B24. Steerman. All right. I'm just telling you. All, you all, all my plane geeks. It's out. coming up. Uh, let's take a quick moment and ask our listeners to please check out our sponsor, GD Herring. GD Herring provides options on insuring not only your classic car, but for all of your collectibles. Please check them out at gdherring.com. And we're talking to Andrew Scott. Again, thanks for joining us here tonight. Um, John, what's your question? So I got a good question. So. I did a little research here. So the last Grand National GNX sold at Meekum in uh, 2021 for $220,000, which is ridiculous for a 
what was it, 18,000 was brand new, maybe. Oh, no, no, they maybe were a little higher. higher. But, I know. <laughs> I'm being facetious. But where do you see the values for, you know, Grand Nationals in general, uh, especially, obviously, the unicorns way up there? Yeah. But in general, for your, you know, I've seen them online anywhere from, you know, 18 to $60,000. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think they're going to hold steady? Do you think they're going to continue to rise? Or do you think that the Grand National price tag being as that age of a car now we're getting up it's it's I'd, getting up in age it's what 35 40 years old yeah mm-hmm. I, so I don't is that value going to hold or I do don't you think, think it's the values keep? are speculative right now okay you know um you know what they've because they've they've climbed uh pretty much linearly honestly uh i bought mine i paid thirteen thousand for it in 2000 you got a bargain right and uh so it's you draw a straight line from there to now and that's that's a gradual increase, and they have right. gradually increased. You know, five ten years after I bought mine, suddenly low mileage, clean examples were were selling for for twenty twenty five, and now a a roller with no floor pans is selling for twenty. Uh, a sub ten thousand mile bone stock car is easily sixty to seventy five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The Grand National or the GNX has topped a hundred grand and stayed there. You know, 10, 10, 15 years ago, they started selling for over a hundred, and they've stayed there. That it's it's maintained it. Now mm-hmm. they're now they're two two twenty five. Uh, that last the last Grand National ever built sold at Barrett Jackson two weeks ago for five hundred fifty grand. That is ridiculous. And five hundred fifty five hundred fifty thousand dollars, half a million. You know, I don't think I've ever seen a GNX outside of a magazine. I don't think I've seen one in person. I don't know if I've seen one in person either. Seen, to be honest with you, if you go to the, if you can go to the uh, the Buick GS Nationals down in Bowling Green at Beach Bend Raceway. Every year there'll be at least two. Yeah. And you can see them. Well, I'm sure the value of it fluctuates depending on who wants one. I yeah, mean, it's... and they move. And they got a big bump uh, from Fast and the Furious 4, mm-hmm. right? And, of course, that car, the movie car from that, sold at the same auction as that other one that went for half a million. Right. It sold for 60 It wasn't even a real Grand National. It was an 81 Regal with the – fiberglass nose and bumpers slapped on and they they swapped the drivetrain in but the interior is gutted it's roll cage because it had they were doing stunts like uh michelle rodriguez crawled out of the window and fell off Mm -hmm. the hood or something Mm -hmm. you know so it was that that thing sold for sixty thousand dollars and it's a it it's a pile Right. Movie cars right. are piles. Yeah. Yeah. They're, right. they're a mess. So it just goes into what what makes it popular. Like so, like yeah. what is the what's the other one that they use in there that you can't find anymore? Celica, not Celicas, uh, <laughs> Supras. Supras, yeah. Supras take enough of them. And it's some models of Integras. It's just it's I guess it goes like, and for I guess for about fifteen twenty years, Ferraris were selling for thirty twenty twenty nine thirty well, forty thousand dollars. Vintage ones because they're and now garbage. Now they're pulling. Big money. Big dollars. Big dollars. Porsches. Old Porsche 911s used to be like, eh, who wants that? It's not fast like the oh, new ones. Oh, you're paying and 150 now, grand for a good air-cooled 911. Yeah. used to find 90s, 70s models going, yeah, but the new ones are hot. That's Those are yeah, slow. Yeah. Now those are hot. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sure the value of a Grand National, because those are, not everybody take care of them like you do. They didn't. They, they, they're all, a lot of them are blown up. A lot of them are rusted. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, that the, especially if they had, like, especially if they had T-tops, right? The GM T tops leaked from the factory. Yeah, they did. Well, and and, and you so have you to s- think, the 1980s were not America's greatest uh, no. era production no. era no. of vehicles. And there by were any few, manufacturer. There were few bright spots in that era, and of course now everybody that grew up in that era 
like us, we've now got we're all we're in our forties. We've been working for twenty four years now. We've got money, and now we want to go buy the things that we couldn't have yeah, back, back then. then yeah. Now right. we want to spend forty grand for a car we could have bought back in the eighties for twelve <laughs> nine five nine. Yeah, <laughs> buddy, I, right. I've seen I've seen Jeeps that are that were asking that were just garbage that I asked for 12 grand on I'm like I paid 12 grand for a 94 back when it was almost new mm-hmm. yeah. but so back on topic here at the Grand National what does the GN require higher does it require higher octane fuel or is just oh, the yeah. 87 it still has a knock it? sensor uh-huh so if if the car is bone stock and you fill it with 87 and then go do a rip it probably will not blow the head gasket it will pull enough timing to save it. Mm-hmm. If you do anything to that engine to uprate it, you are looking at 93 and up mm-hmm. only. Because uh, what happens is, the thing that goes, is if you got a stock motor, they've got the a Felpro uh, gasket. It's a graphite-based gasket, and it's an excellent gasket. The ceiling was fantastic from the factory. Uh, that gasket will blow before you break something in the engine problem is it's graphite so when that gasket blows it fills your engine with graphite, graphite. <laughs> so right. instead of just replacing the gasket you need to pull the motor and clean it yeah. and then you can put it back together uh on an application like mine which is heavily modified we're using they, oh, they sure. used to do fancy stuff where they would o-ring the block mm-hmm. so that if the head's lifted because we can stretch the rod bolts or the main bolts the sorry the head bolts mm-hmm. we can stretch them and lift the head off the block and then it'll slam back down the graphite gaskets won't maintain they won't reseal if, if that happens they're damaged oh wow i got you uh they would over they used to o-ring the block and put a they put a groove around each cylinder in the head mm-hmm. and the block and when it sat back down the groove would guide the head back onto the right spot mm-hmm. and then if you were using a steel head gasket it would reseal uh, that's been obsoleted now everybody uses cometics uh multi-layer steel gaskets and those have those have been great for me. Just um, a tube of blue. I mean, yeah, that'll right? get you all the way through. Just, you know, some, right? some, some RTV and a piece of paper. RTV. Right. seal right up. Some cork. I mean. <laughs> but, yeah, you do not want to run one of these <laughs> right. with low-quality fuel. That's a recipe for a very large bill. Yeah. So tell people why Buick and or General Motors decided to uh, nix the Grand National after a five-year production. Well, at the time, the uh, you know th- this was the the mid eighties, eighty seven, eighty eight. Mm-hmm. Uh, GM was transitioning to almost one hundred percent front wheel drive platform cars, so the old G body product was just going away. Uh, the factories were actually being closed. Uh, while I was at SEMA with the car in two thousand eighteen, uh, the gentleman stopped by to talk to me, and he was the manager of the plant in Pontiac where the car was built. Oh wow. And he had a friend with him, and he's like, what year is this car? And I was like, oh, it's an 87. He's like, okay, yeah, come over here and look at this. And he was showing his buddy all of the shims that they had to stick into the body to assemble the car so the panels would line up. Wow. And what had happened was the dies for the stampings were so worn out that the panels were not the same shape that they were in 1978 when they started making them. Oh, wow. The car in 78, you look under the hood. There, you're going to find very few shims to line the body panels up. Mine, they're everywhere. 
Wow. They're everywhere, under every jack point. And it was because the, the tooling was completely worn out. So if GM were to continue making this, and sometimes you'll hear people talking about, well, they just shut it down because they didn't like it, and Corvette was mad because it was faster than a Corvette, so they made them stop making it. No, the tooling was wore out. They would have had to make new tooling to keep mm-hmm. making that car. And that's stupid expensive because at that point you were making you're making a new car, a new car, right. which they did. Interesting. So, a great story. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. So, you know, car clubs are big. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you got Camaro clubs, you got Corvette clubs, you got Mustang clubs, got BMW clubs, which I won't go there. <laughs> um, but is there a Grand National Club here in Louisville? And do you belong? And, you know, you know, I know you spoke earlier outside and you been to a couple car shows have you had won any awards with your car because your car is absolutely gorgeous yeah. and it is a beautiful ride Thank so you. it's definitely worthy of uh you know awards definitely for originality and things like that yeah thank you um so there is a club in town it's the turbo six buick club okay um uh, i think they still meet for lunch on saturdays at tk's pub in fern creek okay uh i haven't hung out with them in quite a while when I veered off and started racing the car, you know, they're they're a very much they're very nice people. And you know, there's members of that club have a GNX Most that are in are town. Fair. They're the couple that has that nineteen eighty two and a half, they're in the club. But they're very much a show and shine club. That's kind of what they do. Gotcha. And uh, but they're they're great people. Hung out with them for many, many years. And then it's just I started going off and, and doing the, the go fast stuff and mm-hmm. uh then I was I was out of town racing the car when they were going to car shows. Mm-hmm. So we just, I just Gotcha. I haven't been out in a that while. Makes sense. Um, what was the other half of that question? I'm sorry. Uh, about the awards. Have you ever yeah, won any awards Yeah, yeah. So shows? before I started racing, and I did take it to car shows, and I, you know, I've got plaques all over my wall. I've gotten uh, – when I used to go, it was usually, you know, the people that don't go to a, your normal muscle car car show, usually they've got – they do judging, and they don't really give out first, second, third. They do top ten, right, and everybody in the top ten. But you don't tell – who the top 10 is because then people start getting right. bitchy and fighting about stuff. In no you know, particular you order. In no particular order. <laughs> you ain't so, first your last. Yeah, so if I went to a show back then, it was I'd always make a top 10 plaque. Nice. You know? Very and, cool. Uh, even early on, uh, there was a, uh, a charity event up in Indianapolis called Wing Warrior. I took it up there two years and won my class outright in that, and that was a multi-segment event, kind of like the Optum events are now. Mm-hmm. Uh, won with that. Yeah. And that it's it's always been I could reliably walk out of anywhere with a trophy with it. Nice. Well, and this isn't on our questionnaire that we were asking you, but I think it's important. You ought to let everybody know that you've been out there. You've been to SEMA twice. Yeah. Also, tell 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 them where you. Yeah. Are. So, uh, you know, the the big focus I've been in since uh, I think 2016. A friend of mine in the SCCA, Brian Mason, said, "Hey, man, I've been working with this group with Optima, and it's Optima Batteries Pop." sponsors this series it's the search for the ultimate streetcar and if you have a mav tv on your cable uh friday nights at eight the tv show is on and you might catch me on it uh but they do a multi-segment event so you've got not just a judged car show portion where you have to tell some judges about your car and the judges are always from the industry so you're not telling buffoons they know when you're not telling the truth Mm -hmm. uh and then there's an autocross there's a speed stop segment that now they call it the the peak performance challenge because they brought on peak antifreeze. Uh, there's a road course segment, so we do a track day. Mm-hmm. 
and then there is a road rally where you have to drive somewhere. Usually the drive's anywhere from 20 to 50 miles. Mm -hmm. So your car's got to finish that. You can't have something that overheats in traffic. <laughs> and, and, and the way the series works is they've got uh, usually between six and eight qualifying events during the year. Uh, if you win your class in an event, you get an invite to the Optima Ultimate Streetcar Invitational, which is at SEMA <coughs> in Vegas every November. And so uh, in 2016, my buddy's like, you should check this out because these guys are all, they've got all these really nice cars, but they don't, some of them don't really know how to drive. So they, uh, <laughs> he was like, you guys, you guys probably do well. And I was mm -hmm. like, okay. So I took the brand national to that. Well, uh, turns out these events are really, really hard on a car. Uh, the, I didn't finish the first day the first time I went. Oh, wow. Got you. you know, I had a, I had a real weird problem. The, the fan uh, overloaded a ground. And backfed into the computer, and blew some of the ignition drivers. Wow! And the I was still running the stock computer back then, and now it says uh, on the hood, you know, three point eight SFI turbo. Well, the SFI means sequential fuel injection. You know, it was that fuel injection system was GM's first sequentially injected fuel injection system. It was only sequential up to three thousand RPM. Mm. Above three thousand, had to go batch mode because the processor in that old computer just wasn't fast enough. What happened with mine is I burned that uh, ground up and burned a couple components in the ECM. The engine would rev to 3,000, but above that, it couldn't sink enough current out to fire the injectors in batch mode. Be it could fire them in sequential, <clears throat> and it would run fine, but as soon as you hit 3,000, it'd stall out and barf and pop and exactly. do it. Gotcha. And it was all because of a bad fan ground had backfed and burned up a couple of the ground leads in the computer. It couldn't sink the current. So in 2017, I did two Optima events, and it was NCM and then one in New Jersey. And uh, the NCM event, the car finished the event. Mm -hmm. Didn't win mid-pack, but I finished. Did yep. It was the first time I'd been on track. Driving that car on a racetrack, a road course is terrifying the first time because it's <laughs> not really supposed to do that. Right. Uh, New Jersey, I drove it to New Jersey, did really well in the event. I finished top 10 finish. Spun a rod bearing on the road course. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> and I drove the car to New Jersey to get there. Oh. Luckily, my good friend, uh, I had a friend lined up as a contingency. He had room in his trailer. So mm -hmm. he, we loaded it up, and he drove me home. So after that event, having finished top 10, I said, you know what? The next year, I'm going to go to, go to SEMA. I'm going to make it. So I spent the winter going through the drivetrain. Uh, so the car is now a, a 4.1 liter stroke. Uh, I've got an aftermarket uh, uh, PCM. You know, the, the engine computer is all aftermarket. Uh, I had the transmission gone through, and I've actually burned that transmission up three more times since then until I finally figured out how to keep it cool. Gotcha. Uh, right. You know, the rear end's got 373s in it some from the 342s. The suspension's all QA1, and, uh, and I did. I won in points. I did three events that year, and I did well enough to get invited to SEMA in 2018 on points. Very cool. And so it's so cool. And it's that was. To. And then went to that, and I think I finished uh, at SEMA at the in the old the big showdown event. I think I was uh, 63 out of 100 cars, something like that, finishing order. Nice. Very nice. So you know, good company there. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. neat that whole story. Kind of syncs you up in technology. Yeah, when the I car mean, is trying to keep it up to what it to what it can really do, and you're pushing it. So, you know, having to update the computer and all that makes sense. Oh yeah, uh, it's just interesting that you know, when they built that car, 
they didn't even think about that stuff. Right. No. That was yeah. like, no, just no, cars. That, that we got was... computer stuff in this car. It's going to yeah. be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and was and it, it was to 3,000 RPM. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, now, was it possible that that was the best computer that one division of GM could put in it, and then they had a different computer for the Corvette, or is it because Corvette was crossfire injection? They said, yeah, we're not going to go with the sequential. We're going to do a crossfire injection to avoid that problem. Yeah, But I because they were coming to the production, they went, let's just – yeah, Who's going to push it? I'm not hard? familiar with all the intricacies of which PCMs were in which car back then. You know, I know the the carbureted uh, engine PCMs that were in there. They all used a, a Motorola 6800 uh, CPU, mm-hmm. which is the same thing you'd find in a Commodore 64. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, that's you know it, run, it ran at one megahertz. It was eight bit. Yep. Um, the uh, GN ECU had way more functionality in it than. The carbureted cars, obviously, because mm-hmm. all they had to control was that solenoid that made the clicking noise in the carburetor <laughs> mm-hmm, and the yeah. ignition timing. The Grand National was all sequential injection and distributorless injection or in- ignition. And so it had a lot of extra stuff in the computer. It was probably the more sophisticated computer they had. Uh, it was definitely more sophisticated than the crossfire injection computer. Mm-hmm. But uh, um, we all know how. Well, the crossfire did, right. which it didn't. So. Oh, yeah. it was. Now, uh, uh, I'm going to ask you a hypothetical question here that's actual practical because you've had it on a track, so you know what the answer is for this. But real quick, what would be the difference between the stock model T and the police interceptor version? Was there any difference between those? There wouldn't have been. Okay. No. Because the, uh, the, you know, the, the, the turbocharged engine package got you the larger radiator, uh, the rear end, not necessarily limited slip. That was an add-on option. Uh, but there was no police package of the car that gave you even more stuff. They answered the Blues Brothers yeah. part here going, cap tires, cap, cap transmission, tires. Yeah, cap yeah, cooler. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, how fast have you taken the Grand National? I know the speedometer goes so far, but what if you had it pegged at or I, uh, timed at, at clocked at? I did 145 at Road America. Okay. And could you feel it going... In Atlanta? This thing could go. Road Atlanta. America. Oh, uh, Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah, Elkhart Lake. Yeah, that track. Uh, so the original car from the factory had a 120-mile-an-hour speed limiter. Mm-hmm. And people said that was there because they didn't want them to outrun the Corvette. That's not true. Mm-mm. The speed limiter was there because at 135, the car lifted off the ground. Oh, all right. Right? Yeah. So uh, mine, it's it's lowered several inches. And for the Road America event, I actually dropped the nose and raked the car mm-hmm. on purpose yep. to keep the nose down. And it was it was great. It was stable That's the whole a... way. Uh, but, yeah, 100, 145. Um, NCM Motorsports Park down here, front straight. I've actually got a video of a C7 Z06 running lap down that track. And mm-hmm. it exits the S's onto the front straight at 72 miles an hour. And it hit 135 by the start-finish line. This car, my car, exited the S's at 71 miles an hour and hit 134 by the start-finish line. Nice. So the way it sits now, it is pace for pace, at least in a straight line with a C7Z06. And that's a testament to your engineering and working yeah. on Yeah, well, I mean, that, that Corvette is 1,000 pounds lighter. Yeah, that's a fast and, Corvette. And right. it's a fast Corvette. Yep. And it's got a couple more cylinders on it. It does. But you have yours tuned I in to that vehicle. Yeah, nice. Awesome. It is. That's beyond awesome. All right, we got three more questions for okay. you. Okay. Um, do you think Buick will ever resurrect the Grand National? I think they should, my personal opinion. Everybody thinks they should. 
um, you know, we kind of run into problems with the markets right now. Everybody's everybody's buying SUVs, mm -hmm. right? So unless they build a world killer like a CT5 Blackwing or something like that out of it, they probably nobody will buy it. Uh, every few years, GM renews those trademarks, and when those filings happen, people get really excited that, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and it never does. Mm -hmm. um, we were hoping for a while that there was going to be, you know, they were trucking Opals over here mm -hmm. and, and uh, <laughs> labeling them as uh, Buicks, and, you know, they were hoping an all-wheel drive turbo, one of those, would be the next Grand National. But I think what GM's done is, is all of their sedan development went to Cadillac, and every other division's just making SUVs. SUVs. Crossovers, right? So yeah. unless the market changes and people start buying sedans again, I I don't see it happening. I, maybe that that name that badge will come back when they have a fast electric vehicle. Maybe because that that might be where they bring that back out, and it's like we got this in our back pocket. Yeah, I mean they, they've got and it. It's got a really great hatchback electric, on it. Yeah, Grand National. Yeah, that'll blow the doors off of you. <laughs> Most electric cars will blow the door off. Yeah. The electric beetle would probably blow the doors yeah. off a Ferrari nowadays. <laughs> so, um, Andrew, what kind of advice would you give somebody that's looking to find or get into the Grand National market? Where would they look? If you're looking, what kind of price range is reasonable to get into? Uh, obviously, you want to probably work on it a little bit. Yeah, um, um, you're gonna. It's. It's all over the place, right? Because the cars have been around, and, and of course, as soon as they were available, somebody found out, oh, you know, if you tweak it a little bit, it gets even faster, right? And that was, uh, so a lot of them have been modified. And so what you, you don't want a modified car normally. Because right. you're buying somebody else's project, and unless they've kept meticulous records and done it right, you know, like mine, I've, I wrote a manual for my car when I took it to Saudi Arabia, in case somebody bought it because I didn't want them to not be able to operate it and maintain it. Uh, but not everybody did that. So, mm -hmm. you know, you pop the hood. If you see blue spark plug wires and weird stuff and there'll be a ratchet strap attached to the mm -hmm. oh, an eye bolt through the, <laughs> right, through the alternator right, right. trying to keep the – because the motor mounts are broken and mm -hmm. they didn't want the engine flopping over. Uh, Spent a little too you much know, time you, at AutoZone. <laughs> yeah. So and, and some of the parts that are critical to do a uh, – a full factory restoration on one are, are getting nearly impossible to find. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if the parts are missing or not there, you could you could have some issues. Now, if you want one that's modified that you can uh, work on it, you know, if you've got the ability to work on it yourself and fix it, you could probably get a pretty nice car for, mm -hmm. for 35 40 right now. Is there a marketplace like, uh, like a blog or, you know, a Grand National marketplace for people to buy parts and things yeah. like that that's – more reliable than an internet search yeah excuse me yeah so turbobuick.com is the place that i hang out most online for these cars uh that board's been uh it's a bulletin board mm -hmm. been around since the late 90s you know i think my jo i joined it in uh march of 2000 right after i bought the car mm -hmm. uh so that's where you're gonna find all the guys that have mostly been racing them honestly uh but if you need a part there's a parts wanted section. Somebody's probably got it. Um, the other place to look for cars still is eBay, uh, Facebook Marketplace. They pop up on there occasionally. Mm -hmm. um, usually if you find one at a dealer, there's going to be a pretty high premium put on that car. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, so yeah, So but you're, but the prices are going to be all over the place. So like you probably would pay anywhere. You'd probably pay close to 20 
for a, a for a ratty mess of a yeah. of a car, you know, a, a real project, and and a bone stock low mileage car is is going to cost you sixty grand right now. Mm-hmm. Well, we've got a very exciting question for All you. All right, this is the gotcha question. <clears throat> this oh, is, is the it? one. Is it? It's not a gotcha question. It's a question <laughs> we've asked every guest that's been on our show. I was warned about this question, <laughs> and that is, when you took your driver's test, what car did you drive? Uh, my driver's test was taken in a, my driving, I had a driving instructor, mm-hmm. and it was in his car, and I, for the life of me, can't remember what the hell that thing was. <laughs> probably well, should, well, hold probably. on, let's guess. What year was that? Oh, that would have been Not in to date you, 93, I think. 93. It was so white. Uh, it had brown interior, I remember that. Mm. Of course, he had the, the extra brake pedal on his That's side. side right? yep. Ford uh, POS? Ford I don't I think, Ford I'm pretty Topaz. sure it was a... A Chevrolet of some variety. Chevy celebrity. celebrity. Yeah. celebrity. It was a yeah, Chevy I was trying celebrity. to think of a car yep. back then. Yeah. Chevy That's celebrity. what it was. That's it was exactly a white right. Chevy celebrity. That's what I did with... Uh, you know, those cars weren't... I mean, they're junk, but they look pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? They nobody's, nobody's trying but, you know, to buy a celebrity yeah. now. A General but, Motors product right. will run poorly longer than many other things will run. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag K-Car. Exactly. That's right. That's right. And Jennifer... We're going to ask you, what, what did you take your driver's test in? Well, I had taken the test a couple times. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And finally, the driver instructor was like, I failed the p- parallel parking. He was like, okay, so here's our goal. Just get, like, one tire in. <laughs> Just, like, one tire in. That is, like, your goal. You know, we're going to get beyond that. So I don't know what that poor instructor's car was because I did hit cones with it. I ah. got you. Okay, got gotcha, you, got gotcha. you. But you made it here tonight in one piece. I did. Yeah, well, there you go. It all worked out. It did. It did. Absolutely. <laughs> nice. Well, Andrew, this has been a fun and informative discussion, and what a pleasure to have spoken with you this evening. Your Buick is an amazing machine, and thanks for telling us about it. And a shout-out to Greg Moore for putting us in contact with you. Yeah. Uh, now, you have a website that people can look at your Grand National and maybe some other projects. What is that website? Yeah, so if you go to uh, www.andrewdscott.com, that's my main blog. Uh, there's there's a lot of material on there. If I do any major project on that car, I usually do a write-up. I'm also, uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, it's at Inky Racing, I-N-K-Y Racing, you know, in Kentucky Racing. Mm-hmm. Um there's also a story behind that nickname, but we don't have time here. Uh, you can also find me on YouTube and Facebook with the same tag. So just search Inky Racing and you'll find me. That's awesome. Beautiful. And for our listeners, remember to check out our website, www.theclassiccarcorner.com. If you're looking to get your classic car appraised or need any pre-purchase inspections done on any car of interest, I'd welcome the opportunity to help you. My contact information is jason at gdherring.com. Remember to check out autobiotags.com. Every car has a story. Be sure to tell yours. And if you are looking for collector parts for your car, check out CPX at www.collectorpartexchange.com. Thank you for listening and happy motoring from your friends here at the Classic Car Corner Podcast.